I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. dark and dreary time in the annals of crackpot cinema. We have a bonus episode, our first ever with a guest. And what a guest it is. What a bonus oh. it is. What a what a boner we've pulled. <laughs> well, we had to call him because this is the tribute episode to the great Joel M. Reed, the director we lost. And this is the Joel M. Reed of comedy. <laughs> this is the... <laughs> So, the title of this episode is Heritage of Joel M. Reed, an Orgy of Sick Minds. <laughs> and that's what we're having. I'm Mike McPadden, author of Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Joining me across the country in Los Angeles is... Uh, Aaron Lee, uh, producer and writer of uh, shows like Family Guy and Superstore. And uh, we have a special guest, Mike. Introduce him. Uh, a one-man wrecking crew. Uh, a man I haven't seen in 20 years. Uh, a man who uh, I want him to imitate Al Goldstein as soon as possible. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, Screw you! <laughs> I think the last time I saw you, Joe... Was at uh, Seed of Chucky, and I fell asleep in the theater. Oh my goodness! Hi everyone, I'm uh, Joe Wagner, Dirty Bum. Oh, and and, and as I was, right? and as I was saying, our guest because he is the Joel M. Reed of comedy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Make sure we get that. <laughs> and this is the Joel M. Reed uh, uh, memorial episode. Yes, we come to bury Joel M. Reed and to praise him. Wow. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Let's do it every which way. <laughs> do, do we really want to praise him? <laughs> I mean, uh, well. Yeah, so, especially since you made me pay $2 to watch <laughs> Bloodsucking Freaks for the 75th time today. Yes. <laughs> Plus, Aaron, do, since you've already referred to me as the Joel M. Reed of comedy. Yeah, I would like a little praise, a little praise at least. Joe's. Oh, oh, that was. A, I mean, that Joe is like Joel M. Reed. Joel is an accomplished uh, and talented showbiz a professional. <laughs> yes, a tour, uh, a unique voice, <laughs> no, none, none other like him. Uh, a, a criminal, perhaps, maybe yeah. an outsider artist, dangerous, uh, a Joel M. Reed type. I'll take it all. Um, Mike, first, I just want to say congratulations on the book. This is the first chance Thank I you. get to tell you uh, audio-wise. Um, I've been enjoying Mike's posts uh, as you as you put this book together. The whole the journey that you took with this book, I've been following on social media, and I fucking love it, Mike. It's incredible. I can't Thank wait you. for any twelve-year-old kid to get that book and their life to, their life to change. <laughs> 
<laughs> and the name of this book is Mein Kampf. The joke's on you, Joe. <laughs> Oh, uh, we I've were just, just doing this to get you canceled, Joe. That's <laughs> exactly. all. We just we got it on tape. You're canceled. <laughs> well, this has been Crackpot Cinema, and uh, <laughs> this has been Joe Wagner's career and livelihood. <laughs> there are the, it's the kinds of books that Mike wrote that every kid finds as they're becoming a the, the, a movie fan, a cinephile, however they go, and that's like like I. I started to read about movies like Blood Sucking Freaks through like incredible, remember incredibly strange films. Yes, sure. research. Yeah, V Vale. Uh, what was the one that you would always bring out, uh, Aaron? The Psycho Psychotronic, Michael Weldon's great Psychotronic books. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mike, I gotta ask you real quick because you are truly Please. the guy that I know in my life who has been so close to the milieu of Mister Reed. Did you ever meet him? Uh, no, I mean, I've never met him. I would see him at various, like, New York horror things and what have you. I opted to not meet him in that case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> here, here was the big question for me was, I feel like I must have seen Joel M. Reed's movie Bloodsucking Freaks with both of you individually, but did we, the three of us, ever see it together at any point? No, I, I saw it with you, Aaron. Oh, wait! Let, let, before we get it, let, let's back up a little bit. So, blood sucking freaks is the topic tonight. <laughs> a 1976 <laughs> film by director writer director Joel M. Reed, starring Seamus O'Brien and Louis De Jesus and Viju Krem. <laughs> um, uh, it's you know a great lady, a great dancer. And, uh, you know, it, it is the, the most offensive, most insane, most evil, most uh, berserk horror stupid. film ever made. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Boring. Dumb. I mean, I mean, awesome. <laughs> I mean, amazing. No, I, yeah. No, yeah. It is the it is the incredible torture show, as it was originally called. T.I.T.S. <laughs> I and, never uh, thought of that. I, I only, by the way, guys, I only got that joke last night. I got it just now. <laughs> I wow. saw it. I, yeah. did, I did a little research. I did a little research. By the way, of the three, so I found it had three titles, based, That's as far as I could tell. The original, right, was uh, Sardu, Master of the Screaming. Virgins. Correct. Yes. Right. Then Incredible Torture Show, and then ultimately was Trauma that, that changed it to blood sucking freaks. Which of those three is your personal? Which would you have gone with? Probably Sardu, uh, Master of the Screaming Virgins. I love that's that be, one too. That's because you guys are classy. I'm pure, like, no, get get asses in seats. Blood sucking freaks. I mean, blood sucking freaks is probably one of the most effective horror titles. Yes, I, I, absolutely. I think ever done. It's top top five horror title. I'm yes, going to debate you both on this because I have always thought that Bloodsucking Freaks was such a generic title that it held the film back for a while. Because I remember That's... like having to explain what this movie is, even to, you know, groovy movie people, into the 2000s. I mean, now it's just with the horror explosion, everybody knows it. Uh, but I, and, and in fact, the way I got to see it, or, or not see it actually, was I rented it one day. 
I brought it to my aunt and uncle's house. And I was going to watch it with my cousin and her friends. And I passed it off as like a 50s B movie. I was like, yeah, you know, blood sucking right. freaks, horror of party beach. <laughs> my That's uncle Phil. Ring to yes, my uncle Phil came in as they were uh, using the crane to hoist the naked woman out of the crate. So it's only like five right. minutes. It's like right after the opening credits. And he just tore, he just ripped, you know, he probably destroyed his VCR with good reason. He just ripped See, it right you, out, gave it to me, and told me to take it back. You think it held the film back. You think it held the film back. I actually think it probably led to its legend because of the unexpected nature of it being so fucked up for, for those video store kids. You, you, you know? I'm going to jump into the middle of this and say I'll use myself as an example. Because actually, Mike, I do prefer... Uh, Joel's original. I think Master. Or I think Sardine Master of the Screaming Virgins is such it's an amazing title. Yeah. However, I do think Blessing Weeks has its effectiveness, maybe on a generational, a generational term. Yeah. Because, because, so so I wanted to tell you guys this story. I heard about this movie as the true ironic twist of, you know, uh, watch out for you know who's going to take care of the kids. I heard about this movie from the Cisco and Ebert special, and I know that you love those guys more than anybody, on Video Nasties in, from 1987. Do you guys remember when they did this special show? Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, it was. So so they had been going to see all these slasher movies for like two, two three years straight. And... Oh, they, that, that, they did two. They did two. They did one in the early right. 80s. Where they right. Right. Other, right. Where all right. the slasher movies. I think the thing was called, like, Violence Against Women. Like, right. Inspired the by them the show. freaking out over uh, women and violence. Like, spit on your right. Brain. Yeah. Right. Women and violence. And then in 1987, they did one specifically on what they called Video Nasties because of the video boom that they were having. Kids were having these parties, these movie parties, video nasty parties, (laughs) and they were renting things like, and then in the series of movies that they mentioned, the last one they show is Blood Sucking Freaks. And Ebert goes off on it, you know, and they literally showed like three seconds of Ralphus from the electrocution (laughs) scene. That's all you need. Yeah. It was... And, and and so what happened was, you know, they, they were making the show for the parents. Hey, parents, call up your blockbuster. Make sure that they, you don't want them watching this kind of stuff. And, it, you know, to take care of the kids. I was the kid that saw that and was like, I one day have to see oh, what, yeah. what the rest of those three seconds were, <laughs> you know, because all course. I saw was literally a glimpse of Ralphus, the great Louis de Jesus. And I knew for the rest of my life I would have to. It was a, became a holy grail. There are movies that become that holy grail for you, and so that's it. Was from that Cisco and Ebert special. That's I'm, awesome. I'm it, sure it you're takes not it back. Go ahead, Aaron. Oh, I was just gonna say, I'm sure you're not the only one. I'm sure that. Uh, I I'm think. Sure I, that... It, yeah, it obviously had that residual effect. <laughs> 
<laughs> Even though you know, it, was saying, like, no one should ever see this under any... You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like they say about the Sex Pistols. Like, at that first show, there were only, like, ten people. You know, probably only ten kids saw that, but they all went on to become scumbags. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, way to go. Way to go, Siskel to, and Ebert. <laughs> takes me back to the news report when I was, like, 12 that said, kids are using whiteout to get high. Here's how they do it. You take a paper bag, you pour the white out in there, you breathe it. I'm like, wait, 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 let me write this down. Yeah, and I yeah, immediately yeah, did out, it. Out. <laughs> and it was the greatest high of my life. And then they changed the formula and it never worked again. <laughs> well, guys, I wish I could say Blood Sucking Creeks was the greatest high of my life. <laughs> <but> <laughs> there might be one or two others in there. Um, guys, by the way, I, I literally, we are having this conversation. I literally just watched the movie. Wow, the whole with, thing. With, with like a 10-minute window before the call, I, I, I just finished watching it. Wow. I, took I watched it too today. Yeah, yeah the, whole the whole thing. thing. You did, Mike? I did. When was the yeah. last time you had seen it? Uh, I was going to say probably, you know what, it was like five years ago when uh, in conjunction with my book, Heavy Metal Movies, I screened it at uh, the Facets, which is an independent theater here in Chicago. I showed it at uh, midnight movie. They had midnight film school. I was the expert, and uh, they brought it in for blood sucking freaks. It was great. I mean, it, it was that, you know. That movie, you can screen it, and the people will come, right? I mean. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Chris brought a girl there on his second date, and they've since been married for quite a quite a while. So, <laughs> bringing people together, uniting them in love. I literally have a blood-sucking freak state story. I went on a date. Remember, Aaron, uh, Sunset Lamely's? Sure, yeah. yeah. Dearly now, departed. Uh, it was an art house theater, Mike, on the west side. I, 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 they, I was had a, they had a midnight screening. This was a 90, it would have been like around 95, 96. And uh, I went with this girl that we had just met, we had just brought into the sketch group that I was in. And, I mean, I maybe had known her a few weeks, and, but we really hit it off. I'm like, this, let's go see this movie. I saw it once. It's crazy. She's like, okay, fine. And the best thing was I knew, I knew I was like, I'm down with this trick because through the whole movie, and I know this, this, this sounds so, like, old-fashioned, innocent. We just played handsies through the whole blood, all of blood-sucking freaks. Mm -hmm. We just kept playing handsies through the movie. And I was like, if there's anyone that's trying to get any kind of sexual arousal during this film, I want to know more about them. <laughs> uh, uh, a movie that opens with Ralph is cutting off a hand and dancing around with it. And here you are. I mean, I, you guys remember, you remember the first time you just you go see a movie with a girl and you, you, you take her hand or whatever. Mine were fucking freezing and clammy, but which the girl told me. But... um. <laughs> that, it, it, you know, when, when it's like the hairs on the back of your arm are standing up, and you just you just met this person, and you're you're and you and you and you're watching, you know, you're watching an ass dartboard, and it was like I was like, this is magical. <laughs> it, so you it, were it, probably it, at that the screening with us, if you recall, that, Aaron. You yeah. and I went to the Sunset Five that Friday night, the first night it opened. Yeah, we were that. 
That was like that was like Woodstock for us. We were all there, man. Yeah, Joel M. Reed was there. He was there. Joel Reed. You know, yeah, you know what? If you can remember, if you can remember being at that blood sucking freak screening, you weren't really there, man. I climbed the towers. A baby was born. A baby was born. That's gotta be one groovy kid, man. And I just I remember I remember turning to Greg Dark, who we were there with, the the great oh, corner God, director Gregory that's Dark. Right. Oh and my saying, God. Just remember that man next to you is your brother. And you damn well better treat him like that. <laughs> that's was, another Woodstock wait, stage announcement. I'm going deep. Now Mike yeah. Now Mike, was that the screening where where Ron Jeremy showed up? Yes, that's the punchline to the yes. whole thing. Go go ahead, go ahead. Tell the well. Yeah. The, the three of us. So we go with Greg Dark and his girlfriend, who I believe was the British girl at that point. It wasn't uh, Treaty, the porn star. Um, and we're just there. We're watching. And then uh, Ron Jeremy walks in with like you know three three young women, and the three of us. Wearing, or at least, wait, can at I just say jump Greg in? Sink in our chair, please. Wearing a denim vest with no shirt underneath. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. It, this, this movie, this movie is like a dirty bum, like tractor beam. I mean, it's like it, oh it god, it's just. I mean, because the more you're describing it, I'm like, this is this is truly a dirty bum movie. You were I mean, you were one of them, Joe. You were probably there. You were probably there. I, you were probably there. I, I went on Friday. Little, you were there. I do feel a little DB cred at this point. I mean, to just. Yeah. To know that we were all there together, that is something we are discovering right now in this podcast. Yeah. The best movie, the best movie podcast out there, everybody. Crackpot Cinema. <laughs> Thank you so much. So uh, we watched the movie, and then Joel M. Re- I don't know. It was before the movie. He's taking questions. I don't remember if it was before or after. It, it but, was definitely before, but go ahead. Uh, yeah, yes. go ahead. They're taking questions. Everybody's there. But, but because John, Ron Jeremy is there, and he's so annoying. Greg and Aaron and I, who have all dealt with him professionally, like sank in our chairs and were kind of covering our faces. And so people are asking Joel Emery questions and like, you know, he's answering them. And then finally, Ron Jeremy raises his hand. This is the last question of the session. It goes, what's the name of this movie? <laughs> no, jo- Mike, I swear, even better. What's the name of the picture? <laughs> I, oh, I remember. Oh, I blew it. What's the, what's the name, what's of, the the name of the picture? <laughs> And then I remember Aaron. Good. I was going to say, only Ron Jeremy could pull off a shirtless denim jacket and use the word picture. Picture. <laughs> so, Aaron, I remember. The classy, um, the classy dirty bum. You were doing a story about Ron Jeremy for Hustler, and you were at a party with him, and like uh, Matt Parker and Trey Stone were there, and uh, he kept saying to them, Oh, this is Aaron. He loves your movie Cannibal Holocaust. He loves Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> oh God, I, I remember to that Cannibal party. The I, I don't. That's hilarious. Oh, Cannibal Holocaust. That's hilarious. That's yeah. great. I, I here's what I remember. I remember Ron Jeremy asking that question, and Joel M. Reed saying, uh, uh, "Blood sucking freaks." And then Ron, and <laughs> and then Ron Jeremy going like, "Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay for that. All right, sounds pretty good." You know, there's always got to be one poser in the crowd, you know? <laughs> if, if it's going to be one, though, you want it to be Ron Jeremy. Just show, wandering into a random theater and shouting, what's the name of the picture? <laughs> By the 
And remember, he had like three girls with him, too. He had like three sexy women with him, also. Yes. Yeah. He, he's, yeah. He, uh, of course. I mean, every day of his life, right? I didn't. I didn't want to necessarily mention this on the podcast, but um, I'm just wearing a denim jacket and no shirt. <laughs> <laughs> because well, by the way, when when you're enough of a bear, you don't need a shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call you the the every bit the bear that Ron Jeremy is. Every bit. <laughs> Aaron loves uh, comparing me to these great fucking fucked up filthy icons. Mike, <laughs> I don't, I, I've never told you, Mike. He once compared me to um, Joe Spinell. <laughs> that one has probably, Joe that one has probably spun, me, spun me out for the last 20 years. Ago. Well, and I started by comparing Joe to Joel M. Reed, and, and we didn't right. really get to say at the top, Mike, that Joe is a veteran TV comedy writer, producer, and and right. stand up comedy and and stand up comedy legend in Los Angeles. Right. Who wanders? Who does stand up comedy shows and then wanders around late at night, staring into empty store windows? <laughs> and when when he and I wa- <laughs> when he and I watch, I no longer do stand up. Just the walking at night part. Oh, okay. All right. So when when he and I watched Maniac, Joe Spinell's Maniac for the first time, I was like, "This is like a, a, a documentary, Joe. I've never seen anything like it. It's like I, following I, you Aaron, around." Aaron, Aaron, thanks for that. Uh, there have been several nights in the last uh, decade where I've found myself standing in front of an American apparel store, staring through the window at the ma- mannequins and thinking, "Who's right?" How many times, Joe, have you looked into a store window late at night and scary on the scummy end of Hollywood Boulevard and seen your old boss, Andy Dixon, passed out inside? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You only get one of those a lifetime, Mike. <laughs> and how, how freaky is it that Aaron is skinny enough now that he looks like Andy Dick? Does that blow oh. your mind and freak out? I get mistaken for him all the time. Well, that's because you're grabbing guys' dicks and blowing them in the men's rooms and stuff. And, and passed out on Hollywood Boulevard. Yes. Yeah. We should say Joe is a writer and a performer on the great, great uh, MTV Andy Dick show. He played Vermin, Andy's assistant. Thank you, yes. Mike. I just, I actually, Mike, I sent, now I, now basically what I do for no living, like everybody else, is um, uh, I direct sketch groups and uh, at a local comedy theater in Hollywood. And what's really fun is to every now and then blow one of their like 22 year old minds by sending them that clip from the Andy Dick show. So that right. I, I seem a little bit cool. Um, hey, I want to throw out a theory. So, 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 Mike, you've seen it within the last, what, you said like 10 years, five years? I saw it today, and then I saw it five years ago. Oh, you yeah. saw it today, right. Aaron, when was the last time you saw it? I, I made it through about 35 minutes of it last, last night. And bef, be, before that, before that, I really think it would have been with you, Joe. Like either you, I, I feel like you and I watched it in my old apartment a lot. Yes, exactly. Because I remember us joking about Ralphus, who, like you said, is the, the uh, little person uh, henchman of, of Sardu, the evil theater, evil theater of the macabre owner in the movie. Um, I remember we were obsessed with Ralphus's dance that he does. He—he's uh, got such a unique dance. The dance is—is is like 
it's like a jig. I guess most people would describe it as kind of a jig. Yeah, all, absolutely. All purpose yeah. of a jig. But there's a there's some there's some fist pumping that yeah. gives it kind of like a monkey feel as yeah. well to me. It's it's a very it's so it's it's a, he, in a movie that's so disturbing. It's like I I think you could pick Luis out of this movie and put him in a kids show. You know what I mean? It's well, he's very charming, and I hate to say yeah. that and admit it, but it's Mike. You and I, you know, we're obsessed with Dan- Danny Peary and the uh, Guide for the Film Fanatic books, and Peary always pointed out how disturbingly good the acting is in this movie for yeah. what it is, uh, <laughs> yeah. particularly Sardu, uh, Seamus O'Brien as the the evil ringleader, and uh, but he and Ralphus really are one of the all time great. Uh, Laurel and Hardy, yeah, Abbott combo. Costello duos, yeah, yeah great, <laughs> great combo, and totally agree with that. They are a comedy duo in this film. Yes. and if you and 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 here's, I just want to throw this out real quick to any listener who's never seen the film. So you've heard that it's fucked up and disturbing and insane and bizarre. Uh, you know, it molests your soul. I mean, it, it, every the way people talk about this movie, it. And you guys know, because you've seen the real deal as far as disturbing films, where there's no... What people don't talk enough about this film is that there's comedy in the film. This is the, it's, it, most people who eventually see it realize how much comedy is, is either attempted or done in the film. Well, yeah, I would say it's it. entirely a comedy with yeah. horror elements, and, yeah. And here's a question for you, Mike, as I was remembering yeah. it. And I got to say, it is one of those things like every shot is just imprinted on my brain when I was yeah. like, I don't think I've seen it outside of my 20s. But but like it, it uh, having seen it, do, do you th- had he seen John Waters? Was he trying well, to do yes. that? This was the thing they. Um, so I want to first uh, let's plug and credit uh, the incredible book. Bloodsucking Freak, The Life and Films of the Incredible Joel M. Reed by John Spoonar, who is a tremendous writer. Uh, came out last year, um, but he spent 20 years working on it. Uh, John is a friend. Um, he pre- Before this, he did Xerox Ferox, which was about horror zines, and he interviewed me for that. Um, and this is, this is an amazing, deepest possible dive you could imagine with John Spooner spending 20 years off and on in the company of Joel M. Reed. So any fact or insight uh, about the making of the movie comes from Bloodsucking Freak, and, and I'll be promoting that all over social media. And I hope John hears this because he's a hero. Uh, so Joel uh, had wanted to make a movie called Teen Demon, and he was trying to swindle, he was trying to get this guy... Uh, who owned a ballet company to put up some money for it. So uh, he and the guy went down to Soho, which at the time in the 70s was still rough, but it was the burgeoning art district in New York City. And there was a Grand Guignol theater there, um, you know, doing a modern version of the great French gross-out gore horror theater. And they did a an S&M ballet, and the owner of the ballet company said to Joel M. Reed, uh, I'm not interested in Teen Demon. Do a movie about this kind of theater. So he said he just wrote it, you know, in a fe- in a f- complete, you know, fever. Um, they shot it in ten days in that theater, and he said the intention was to get it to be a midnight movie at the Elgin, 
which was of course the birthplace of the midnight movie with El Topo and Pink Flamingos and Eraserhead on the west side of Manhattan. Wow. And they never pulled it off. It never. It never. The Elgin closed before that it was even available for them to uh, play there. But I look back and I have to think if they had pulled that off with a better title than the Incredible Torture Show because it only opened in Chicago. They had five prints of it and it just completely bombed. Uh, I have to think it would have caught on because that was the only city. That was the only. That was it initially. Initially in 1976. Yeah, 77 when it came out. Um, because then it was picked up by Troma in 1980, and they kind of dribbled it out for a while, and then got a big re-release in '84. Um, but but speaking of the Elgin, it's like it, I have to imagine it would have caught on big because uh, the fucking movie Gums had a long midnight run there. The porno spoof of Jaws with Brother Theodore, and it's unwatchable. Well, that's the title issue there. He needed an artier title. It, it, those were all yeah. just too on the nose for what if he had given it some abstract eraserhead style title. Yeah, it, it, it might have had a shot. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I mean, this, this, this film, obviously, it didn't find its audience until much later. But but Mike, did it end up because, of course, I just assumed because it was shot in New York that it played in New York. So, yeah, yeah so they released it in Chicago. And then didn't it end up at, in 42nd, at, you know, in Times Square? It, it initially, it did eventually, but it went to, in 84, when they did the big reissue around the country, it went to the 8th Street Playhouse, which was the flagship theater of Rocky Horror. And they had midnight movies seven nights a week there. It was a legendary theater. And uh, because there was a group called the Women Against Pornography in New York that would protest, you know, walk, march around Times Square and protest, and they had this woman, Paige Mellish, was their spokeswoman. <laughs> and she would stand on the corner. She did this into the 90s with pictures of, like, the Hustler Meat Grinder cover and just yell, fight back, women, and chain smoke. Um, so they, they had... to the rumors of, of Kaufman, of Lloyd Kaufman bathing some of that? Well, here's what happened. So they had protested Maniac, the aforementioned Joe Spinell film, and then the owner of the Ace Tree Playhouse staged with Lloyd Kaufman. They staged a um, protest when Blood Sucking Freaks opened. They were doing really good business. So then the owner of the Ace Tree called the Women Against Pornography and said, You got to get down here and see this movie. So they see the movie. The fake one happened first, and then they were like, yeah. We got to get the real ones in here. Yeah. So the, the real one happens, and they went berserk, and they got it. They reported him to the Board of Health for all these health code violations, and the theater almost closed. So he was like, get this fucking movie out of here. So that was the end of <laughs> Bloodsucking Freaks on 8th Street. And I want to say, uh, the 8th Street Playhouse, because Bloodsucking Freaks is also so tied in intrinsically with Bill Landis, the publisher of the uh, Sleazoid Express, who is a hero and a villain in, in our lives, me and Aaron, um, <laughs> who befriended Jolyn Reed. What's that? Oh, oh yeah. Can I do him? Yeah. Joel M. Reed. The champion. He was the initial champion of the film, really. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And then turned on Joel M. Reed because he turned, he turned on everyone who knew him, um, including me for about five minutes. Um, but he told me, or I told him later, you know, at the A Street Playhouse, he had, in 1982, they had the Sleaze Fest there, which is where, for the first time, they showed all kinds of crazy stuff, including the Ilsa movies. 
So I was 13 at the time, and I tried to get, I tried to go, and they turned me away for being too young. And I told Bill Landis, and he goes, bullshit, the owner of that theater was a pedophile. And, uh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I want to say that's not true. run by pedophiles. Yeah. Oh, but like, and I, I, I want to say a, that's not true about that man. B, B, I was so fucking fat and ugly at thirteen that he wouldn't have been interested in me anyway. So he would have told me get the hell out of here. And I also want to say C. Now Bill Landis, also when he was mad at me, because I hired him to write something uh, for a porno magazine I was working on, and he didn't get paid fast enough. He told me, I know all about you, Selwyn Harris. I know about you and the two dominatrixes in the deli. And I was like, whatever that story is, I wish it was true. <laughs> me and the, the dominatrix, the two dominatrixes in the deli. With, with fucking, with deli meat? Please. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, he didn't elaborate and I didn't want him to. I just wanted the legend to live in his head. So Kaufman said after that, uh, and this is Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma, and I am not a fan of Trauma, but I, I certainly love how they handled this movie. Uh, they At that point, they had 60 or 70 prints in circulation for a long time as a midnight movie. Uh, Joel M. Reed said played a year and a half midnights in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So there's a little, oh, little wow. background for you. Wow. Is, is, is this... this this does feel like a movie to me, though, as far as from the 80s video boom, had truly got, you know, had life, you know, brought into it from, from that, from that change in, in movie consumption. You know I mean? Absolutely. Very much. Like Faces of Death. Yeah. I mean, in fact, which was mentioned in that, in that, the Siskel and Ebert, the video nasty thing. In fact, the first part of the show is about Faces of Death, and to see Siskel and Ebert Say, Wait, but this looks fake. I mean, this is like, because how? Why would it like explain, <laughs> explain? How could there be another camera? So it's like, but you know, it, I think it might be fake. It might be fake. They're like, so <laughs> and, and they're so disappointed. Ugh, come on. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm paying for faces of death. That was the rage. <laughs> That's why they did the special. Hey, very yeah. hey. <laughs> um. The thing I was going to say was there was no, I think there was no way you could walk by the video box of Bloodsucking Creeks, which, by the way, as you guys probably know a million examples of, is one of those great cases where the poster that was so off on, on that 80s video box, I think obviously now it has maybe some new posters or whatever, uh, or new images, but uh, the poster on the video box, no character in the film is no. in that poster. <laughs> right. It's a weird black and white shoot of some other actors who are clearly from a later period. Yeah, it's it's really unforgettably tacky and and yeah. and weird and the main focus is a giant deformed face. Yes. I don't, and I don't know what the hell that there's no giant deformed face in in Bloody yeah. and Freaks. Well, it's a group of yeah. people sitting around a table with uh, you know, an elegantly set table. Yeah. And then a guy who looks like a foppish Crispin Glover. He looks like <laughs> yeah. uh, is raising is raising a goblet to you, the viewer. 
Yeah. And a, and a head under a like a, a, a cloche, I think it's called, where it's like they're on, they're on a dinner table, they're revealing. No, Mr. SAT vocabulary. <laughs> the cloche. <laughs> I have worked on some reality shows. <laughs> mm. Where where a cloche had to be uh, taken off to for the big reveal um, of of a, a human head underneath. <laughs> <laughs> I wish those were reality shows. Um, so that's a crazy poster. I really wish there were a new Mike. Did they ever? Was there ever any on any re-release or anything like? Because that poster is like it's a shitty poster. I mean, it's it's eye catching, but it's a, for the movie. It's a oh. terrible poster. Yeah, it has nothing to do with the movie, but I mean, it has become iconic in its own right. I mean, you see the T-shirt yeah. at rock shows and every, you know, yeah. I would love to know actually who. Like, I'll order the book and see if it's in there. They say it in the book. They get they, they go into the poster. Uh, just who created it? Yeah, it was somebody who worked at uh, for Trauma. It was uh, one of the Trauma people. It it was weird for me to revisit the movie and the opening to realize like, oh. 90% of the exploitation movies you and I watch, Mike, are, are like in L.A. And they're shot around L.A. Yeah. And them driving through the snow at the beginning. and, and yeah. it, it, The fact that it's an East Coast thing, I have to admit, it is really effective. Like, it's like the opening is really creepy and a bummer. And they're, it, it, it's like the movie smells. It's like you yeah. smell <laughs> rotting New York garbage. And, and two unattractive guys, guys. The van, when they share a smile, it was chilling. I and, fucking froze. And they're carrying a big, they're carrying a crate in that you find out has a woman in it later. But they're they're having trouble. Like they're clear. It's not it's not staged. Like they're having trouble in the snow getting up the curb. It, it just it reminded me of growing up in upstate New York in the, in the worst way. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, oh, go ahead, Joe. Please. No, 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 you go. Go. I just wanted to say, to throw out, because um, uh, I think it's important for any movie discussion, I really enjoyed watching it this time. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if it was because I, I, I had read about it recently. I was just reading about it recently and really in the right kind of mindset to, to see it with, with that kind of... And when you know about a movie, it changes the way you see the movie, you know? And, and, and I got to say... My theory now on this movie is that, is that it's a brilliant workplace comedy. And if, <laughs> one, if, if I got a friend who knows about workplace comedies, it's Aaron Lee. Oh, uh, please, please. NBC, Thursday um, nights. But, but don't, don't, you guys, don't, don't you guys think that? Because well, really, it's about this, this guy who runs his theater and the people well, that work for him. And and Seamus O'Brien as Sardu is not only so great and so funny, but he really does to me. And and Mike, you know the book better, so you could tell me the reality of this. He really does come off like a theater guy who is like, I've been given a role in a motion picture, yeah. and I will sell it to the <laughs> hilt. You know, like this is my moment. It, like, does not seem to know he's in one of the sleaziest movies ever made. Is just like. I will bring Sardu to life, and I am committed a thousand percent. And it's so delightful to watch. And that, that is what is described in the book. Uh, he was uh, an off-Broadway actor for forever, uh, best known for the Fantastics, the little off-Broadway show that ran for 30 years. 
uh, from which so the good September it. song comes from. And yeah, well, he'd have been the best. I, I'm not a musical guy, but is the Fantastic like it? Is it like a set? It's the seventies kind of. Is it a trippy kind of thing? What is it? Like? No, no, it's an it's an odd. The name doesn't really go with it. It's like a simple story about a romance. Like it, I don't exactly know, but it, but you know it has try to remember the time. It's a, but I think it was the name of the theater group, the Fantastics, and this was just their show. And then it literally did run uh, in the in the Greenwich Village for you know from like the '60s into the '90s, um, and uh, Jerry Orbach became a star from the Fantastics. He was one of the original Fantastics players. Uh, can you imagine so, Seamus O'Brien home watching Law and Order, just throwing uh, food? Hack, untalented hack. Imagine if if Lenny Briscoe showed up investigating the crimes of the theater of the macabre. <laughs> That'd be the happy, the happy, uh, the happy. Well, the bittersweet ending, Aaron, is, is that you never got a chance to see any Law and Order episode. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He got killed before the movie came out. Wait, he got murdered. Yeah, he got stabbed oh, wow. to death either during a robbery. The podcast to give. Aaron, a, a moment to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. C Look, I can't yourself. take yeah. Joel M. Reed and this news in one week, guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. In 1977, he walked home, and either somebody jumped him on the steps and knifed him to death, or was breaking into his house and knifed him to death. We are in the middle of a global pandemic, and this is the saddest thing I've heard this week. <laughs> I can't... I'm I'm devastated. I'm devastated. <laughs> and then uh, Louis de Jesus. <laughs> so Joel Emery swears they had Hervé Villachez lined up. And this makes sense because I don't think he had Fantasy Island at this point. And was he a New York actor, Hervé? Be well, he was in you know the James Bond movie. He was in a lot of stuff. You know, he was knick-knack in um, The Man with the Golden Gun. So... Uh, you know, he was a painter in, in France, and then he was an actor, I guess, in Hollywood. But he said okay. Hervé was in Paris, and they would have to fly him to New York for 400 bucks. And then, like, Louis de Jesus just kind of walked in. They were like, okay, stay here. And then, you know, he was so great. Louis, of course, was uh, best known for... I heard that Please. Hervé said he was like... He, so, so Joel was like, well, I'll fly, you know, we'll get you back, but you got to come back. And that... This is Joel saying that Hervé was like, no, it's much easier to get for a little person to get laid in France. Yes, I did. I, <laughs> I swear to God, Joe, I thought you were building up to like, he said, you got to fly me on the plane, the plane. Or, I, I was waiting for, I swear I was waiting wow. for the plane joke. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I mean, that's a great, it's a, it's a great anecdote. I was just like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> It does, doesn't it? It does sound like a great, perfect, you know, exploitation filmmaker Carnival Barker thing to say of like, I, you know, I, I almost got Hervé Villachez, but well, yeah, it yeah. makes sense, right? I mean, well, it, that's probably, it does. It's probably probable. Well, we yeah. don't usually go down roads this sleazy on this classy podcast, but <laughs> but they, wasn't there always the confusion over some porn loop called the anal dwarf that people oh, thought no, was Hervé no Villachez, confusion. but it. It's Louis and Vanessa Del Rio. Luis was in that. Yes. Yes. It, it was, was him. 
Okay. Yes. But it, it but people but it did go around with people saying, "Oh, it's Hervé Villages, right?" Oh, I never heard that. And you and that ruins my other joke that I thought of, which I was going to say. And he also beat out Hervé Villages for that part. <laughs> there you go for the anal dwarf. I I was much more upset about that. The Latin from Manhattan. <laughs> By, by the way, the, uh, I would pay to see a movie of the rivalry between uh, Hervé Villages and Luis de Jesus. <laughs> I would well, love my, it if, if Herb, I'd love it if Hervé was that it's either the anal dwarf or the James Bond movie. This is really tough. I don't know. <laughs> He's literally got the two scripts in front of him. Yeah, <laughs> I've always regretted it. I've always regretted it. Um, uh, 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 hey, by the way, quick Hervé sidebar. Either of you guys, have you seen they made that uh, uh, Hervé bio, not a biopic, more of a... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, with Peter Dinklage, the uh, HBO movie, yeah. Oh, no, I didn't see that. My God. Yeah, it's called My Dinner with Hervé, I think, yeah. Oh, I will definitely watch that. That sounds great. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Of his fame. Like, he yeah. was yeah. like, a, especially in France, dude, he was like... Oh. It's a mate... <laughs> <laughs> it's a made-for-HBO movie? Yeah, a couple of years ago, yeah. HBO, a few years ago, yeah. I will definitely watch that. That's great. Well, Ralph, Louis de Jesus was, I mean, truly, I mean, that is uh, finding, who was it in Schwab's uh, drugstore? Oh, Lana, Lana Turner. Turner. Yeah, sure. I mean, he is, he is I think, Joel Reed's Lana <laughs> Turner, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your Lana Turner, Joe? <laughs> if we're going to continue the comparison, nobody like yeah. him. You're right. You're right. Joe's Joe's Lana Turner is also Louis de Jesus. <laughs> That's who his is. He's he's amazing in the film. I had forgotten how much showmanship he had, oh. especially they, as part of the review. Yes. Yeah. There's that great scene, you, you know, that we always talk about, Mike, where he and he gets Sardu, he says, oh, you, he keeps calling him master. And then yeah. suddenly they go into the weird S&M thing where he's like, I'm the master. And Sardu switches the keys on his belt to, yes. to show he's a submissive now. So, so I guess this was just all midnight movie kink stuff, right? Like, sure. Throw that in. Spice yeah, it, it was. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's like everything you can think of. And I think, you know, with John Waters in mind, like, Let's right. top it. Anything we can think of that's horrible uh, and connected to S and M and every. Let's do this. Yeah. So yeah, no. His, he, wants, his... he wants he uh, wants Ralph is to go kidnap somebody. He's like, I can't do it. He's like, please, you must. He's like, what will you do for me? And that's when he switches the his that whatever the keychain on his belt. Yeah. And then the girls whip it, him. It... Yeah. Like you're, yeah. I, I think it's a pretty good impression, but you're making him a little more aggressive than he is. It's just okay. a very yeah. strange, childlike tone. <laughs> <It's> true. <laughs> I'm channeling the sinful dwarf by mistake. And and as as deeply offensive, it's funny you say that, Joe, because like as deeply offensive as the movie is, and like I said, I I, I will confess, I bailed early last night. Th there is something. There is something kind of charming. There's something almost charming about what the the goofy, spooky organ and the that it is an attempt at an old school horror movie. Yeah. Like even him going, let's make a John Waters blow your mind movie. He can't help but 
go off of like white zombie and and the wizard of gore and and corny cheesy old horror movies you know so so there there is this thing i think especially seeing it in high school of like this is gonna be <laughs> this is gonna be everything you thought every movie at the video store would deliver We'll deliver it, you know? Exactly, I, exactly. I'm trying to think of what else even compares. Maybe in horror, Mike, like maybe pieces to me for pure yeah. comic booky. like yeah. we're just going to, we're going to give it all to you. Like what but you, pieces does you not know. have the same like list of ingredients that you go, it's got oh God, thumb no. screws. It's got, you know, pieces is completely yes. mind blowing and, and hilarious and amazing, but it's, it's not the same as this. And it's not and, nearly as pornographic either. Right. And uh, I was going to say, you know, <laughs> I always think of the great uh, Family Guy bit where Peter doesn't like the Godfather. And he says it's because he it announces itself. <laughs> uh, yes. Right. And uh, yeah. I was going to say Bloodsucking Freaks is a movie that truly announces itself. <laughs> it truly does. Like, we will... I, I was thinking it's, it, it, it is in a weird New York tradition of like the Ramones and yes, yeah. like we, we will just give you what you came for with everything yeah. else stripped away. And I was going to say, there are several key parts where the, it announces itself and tell me if you agree. The first one is when they open that crate and the woman is hoisted out nude and screaming and you go, okay, this is not the fifties B movie. I thought it might be right. <laughs> right. But with creepy fifties B movie organ Completely. playing over it. Y and a setup know? like yeah. that, like this was going to be a monster in the box. Yeah. Right. And then it's when Ralphus tortures the girl, it keeps going, and then he eats he eats the eyeball. And it's like, all right, this has <laughs> so announced stupid. itself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to tell you real quick, because you guys just mentioned it. The, I, the, I uh, again, uh, upon a rewatch, I had forgotten, maybe I never appreciated it enough. I think the music is incredibly effective. It's crazy. Right. Very bold choices. <laughs> the tango, the the tango motif. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the 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 tango, the theme. Because I realized literally the theme comes back at the end uh, for like the final, you know, fi uh, well before the na the naked blood sucking freak orgy dance party, but, but but just before that the theme comes back. But there is something about it. It's jaunty when you would least expect it. It has kind of a oh, there's a rag there's a ragtime sequence in there, um, yes. yeah. along yeah. along with these very creepy of the time, you know, the new synth sound. Um, I, I just thought it ended up being a really interesting uh, uh, soundtrack, especially because you know I think a lot of people with with what they would consider cult movies or or or, or poorly made films, shitty films. You think, you know, the music could have been an afterthought. As I was listening to it, I think whoever did the music, I don't know the, the guy's name, Mike, I think he put some freaking thought into it. Oh, yeah, no, he's a oh, real pro. And, and he's interviewed at length in the Bloodsucking Freak by um, uh, Walter Sp uh, John Spooner, rather. Um, time, the rat time sequence with the beers and the dartboard. <laughs> I mean, by the way, this, if you don't know that this is a comedy, there are literally stretches, there are long scenes in this film that are sketches. They are just comedy yeah. sketches yeah, that happen true. to be about incredibly depraved S&M scenarios. Yeah. 
But yeah, they are their comedy, their comedy sketches. I had forgotten that they literally have their arms interlocked for the first beer sip. <laughs> <laughs> Which couldn't it's have been so easy staging-wise with that size difference. <laughs> but I yeah. and Joel, Joel has always said that they those two got along great. Oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, you don't want to think that they were fighting off camera. That's that's great. That's what you want. <laughs> well, can you imagine? By the way, guys, this is what I always think about with these films. What is it literally like? At is there is there a craft service table like just oh, off to the side in, in whatever disgusting <laughs> basement they were shooting? Oh. Was there like yes. a bowl of carrots and celery? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there was like a plate of cold cuts that had sat there for you know fifteen hours. Yes, absolutely. When Sergio is eating his meal on top of a naked woman on all fours, I, it's literally instead of taking in the degradation and the dehumanizing, uh, disgusting element of this film, I, I looked at his plate of food and I was like, what did they get him to eat? Fried chicken. I did the same thing. I was studying. I, I thought it was, it was I thought chicken. it was chicken parmesan, and then I saw like a whole wing come up. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Yeah, and he was like. Daintily, he was like daintily using his fork and knife on the wing because he, yeah, because he yeah. wasn't really going to eat it. Yeah, <laughs> that killed me. That killed me. That's how much a pro fucking Seamus is. Yeah, yeah that's get him a plate Seamus. of chicken wings and he's eating it like it's fucking Chateaubriand. It's insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he really should have had a career. I mean, like a, a bigger, a bigger career. Yeah. yeah, he shouldn't have gotten stabbed to death. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> negative negative percent body fat. There is one scene where you see Sardu shirtless, and Seamus is like, he is ripped. How, yeah, he's got the sleek great, swimmer's build. Yeah. How great would it have been in that Siskel and Ebert special if they had showed the clip and Ebert was somehow, and Siskel just like went to bat? Like, I liked it. I think this guy's great. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I know we want to do the special, but I, this is this is a good it's one. Not, it's I would. not a great movie, but I had fun watching it. <laughs> yeah, fun. exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, now, Mike, have you seen Joel and Reed's other movies, Bloodbath and G.I. Executioner? And I, I have seen G.I. Executioner. I've not seen the other ones. Um, and uh, we had... had G.I. Executioner. It's, it's like, like his action, action movie. And... Um, if he had only made that, we would not be having a tribute to Joel Emery tonight. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Mike, do you know anything about, because talk about titles, Career Bed? Uh, no, I just know that was like a softcore sex movie that he worked on. Oh, Career so. Bed. Yeah. yeah that is a hell of a title. Like That's really good. Yeah, I think I think I think something weird put that out for a while. They right? did. Like, it's like, it's a for black sure. and white one. Yeah. Right. Does, does, does that for you guys? So, so this is a movie, by the way. Again, if you ever see it for the first time, uh, it's it's about ninety nine percent brutality towards women. Um, just know that going in. Uh, yeah, don't watch it for God's sake. <laughs> like, let's let's say that right up the bat. If you're thinking about watching it, stop. <laughs> like, wait a minute. So, Aaron's don't. saying don't watch it. No, no, I'm saying watch it, Mike. Tiebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I watched it today, and I was like, the first two-thirds of this are phenomenal. It's so funny. It's so clearly a put-on. It's so funny. 
And then as inevitably happens in movies like this, it gets bogged down and a little boring towards the end, but it's so well done and so clearly a comedy. And, um, you know, I, and I was thinking it's, it's much like Family Guy in that way, Mr. Lee. Mr. Former executive producer of Family Guy. I don't. I don't work there anymore. I don't work there anymore. Maybe Eric's the Joel Reed of Hollywood. <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. In no, that, all like in that you're watching it and you can't believe. You know, much like Family Guy, for now 20 years, where you're like, I still can't believe this is on my television. Where you watch Blood Sucking Freak, you say, I cannot believe. This scene with the girl with the rope in her mouth being caned in the guillotine is on a screen and I'm watching it and it's hilarious. Yeah. I can't believe Amazon sells it. Like, I can't believe <laughs> that that Jeff Bezos is taking in those God are four dollars for. Blood oh, my God. It is, it is on Amazon. You're yes. right. Oh, that is well, it's a trauma movie and, and their brand is bad taste horror comedies, gross out gore comedies. And it's far better than any any other thing Trauma ever made itself. Um, but I think it's just, with horror being so popular, particularly among the young and the woke contingent, um, I think it's unmistakably a comedy and works that way for anyone watching it. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, I was going to propose this to you guys. Do you think... Because since you brought up that scene, Mike, the the, the guillotine, it's a, it's a great, it's a it's a great. I mean, from the since the pit and the pendulum, this is a classic scene of tension. Uh, this woman, if she if she if she opens her mouth, her, her head is going to get cut off on the guillotine, and she begins to get spanked by Ralphus. Just painting a picture. Just painting a picture, if I may, if I may. Oh, and and here's the thing though. Here's okay. So here's the thing. So so I, as I was reading people's responses to this movie, reviews and recaps and stuff, and I was, you know, there were of course there were a bunch of guys who were just like, this is it's it's really hard to watch some of these scenes. Uh, there's a scene where a woman gets slapped, and it just just it's it's real slaps. It's it's weird and it's uncomfortable. When she when he's caning her, at one moment I thought. Well, would this just be considered, basically now in the day and age we live in, a comedy porn? Well, well, those girls in the movie, those women, those actresses, many of them were active in the BDSM lifestyle. But the guy who owned the theater of the macabre, who did the S&M ballet, was a big shot in, uh, you know, the sadomasochism scene of New York in the 70s with the, the Hellfire Club and, and places like that. So a lot of them were active participants. I would guess she was, too. Uh, the other ones, Joel M. Reed said a lot of them were Columbia students, and the rest were struggling actresses who did porn, um, you know, on the side to just make some money. Well, that's, here's, I threw that out because, it, in a way, I felt like it, there's something about, I mean... Look, if you if if if, if you see any of the S and M porn videos that are made at this point, it's almost like if is I mean if you put fucking like Aaron, you were saying a classic comedy duo, Abner and Costello, off to the side doing who's on first, <laughs> while a woman's getting spanked in a consensual, you know, <laughs> exhibition exhibition of a sexual you know activity. I mean, 
the, I, I just wonder if in the way that at the time, as a film, that when people saw scenes like that, they thought, well, there's no, you know, I mean, there's no way that anyone would have agreed to this. <laughs> I mean, but they were actually, they, they did agree to it, you know? Joe, I want you to play Lou Costello in <laughs> Abbott and Costello Meet the S&M Porn Shoot. <laughs> like, I want that so bad. You standing off to the side going... <laughs> Dude, Abbott and Costello Meet Master Sardine is like the last, the last sure. universal monster that didn't get in there. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it should mean, be... Abbott, this is the full title. Abbott and Costello meet the master of the screaming virgins, comma, <laughs> Seamus O'Brien. There you go. <laughs> like, like the killer Boris Karloff. The, the, uh, the other, so comedy, definitely a comedy. The other thing I want to say about any cult film when you can shout it from the mountains is I do think that there were some, I do think that there was some filmmaking involved. I know it's crazy to say that, uh, about this movie, which is, uh, again, it's, 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 I mean, the blood is not, how can you even fuck up fake blood? It's so gloopy. There's one scene <laughs> where a ballerina has had her feet cut off and she's dragging it across and there's a close-up of it and the blood is, looks like jelly. It's ridiculous. Yeah. That was from the craft service table. <laughs> it, it really, it really, it's so gloopy, but in a way, still, there were shots. I do think that opening shot that you mentioned, Mike, because I think it was, I think I read that the cinematographer was again a, somebody had mostly done adult films. So again, you want to you want to think this guy's like, here's my shot, like Seamus. Here's a shot. I'm going to try to come up with some cool shots. I think there's some great mirror shots in the film. I don't know if either of you remember those. If you saw any, there's yeah. one of the football guy where she's leaving she leaves and he's i think i think they they stay on him to make it seem as though he truly realizes he's in love with her and then the camera pans slightly and you see oh you were seeing a reflection of him and now here's his face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you're right and it all holds together i mean it, it is you know i've seen no other evidence of joel m reed uh possessing a scintilla of talent <laughs> But this movie works, and it works as a movie on its own, and uh, in, in very you know basic terms of storytelling and pacing and punchlines and yeah. But the first forty minutes went by pretty fast, actually. It, it does, yeah, it definitely that's does. The, that's the bizarre thing is like, how did this? That's the real mystery is like, how did this guy go this berserk one time? Right? Like, how is this his one shot? Like, he made other movies. They weren't completely berserk. But one time in a frenzy, he made the most berserk movie ever and got, like, 40 or 50 other people to sign on to enact it. I have a theory for this. When you mentioned the Ramones, Aaron, it made me think of this, of that punk sense of anger, right, coming out of an yeah, anger. Yeah, I do think... From what Mike said, the story of this, he had he had money lined up for another project. What is the, the fucking most devastating thing that can happen to any production? The money falls out. The money fell out. Joel's probably fucking pissed. Then the guy's like, write me this. And then what he writes, there's an, again, I know that Joel, I, from, from interviews I heard with, with Joel and Marie, he, he obviously was just, you know, just throw it all in there like you guys were saying. Let's see if we can make some money. 
But there is an anger that runs through this movie about art versus entertainment that I think is how he wrote it. I think that I think he did go berserk. I think he was like, fuck it. You know, theater with critics and money men and and keeping keeping your place open <laughs> to, to get art <laughs> to the people. I mean, I do think I think maybe it was a burst of rage in the guy. It was a, a, a personal statement. This film. I you know I, you got to read the book Blood Sucking Freak by John Spooner because it's Joseph. You are right on the money in terms of everyone's account of this film being made. And so much of it was about the rage of critics being able to just destroy this thing that you've worked on and, you know, the fantasy of revenge against that. It truly was a statement. And and you think, and yes, the punk era, the uh, really gnarly New York sexual era at the time, uh, you know, consider the gay cruising and then the heterosexual version uh, would be the, uh, you know, those BDSM clubs in the same on the west side of Manhattan also. And uh, yeah, that punk energy in this as, as the city was in ruin in the in the you know Fort to New York drop dead era. So yeah, the rage is there and it's palpable and it's funny, you know. And you know, well, and we, I we, think it's the story of exploitation filmmaking summed up. You know, they would have yeah. to they're really just selling nudity and violence. They'd have to put it in some kind of vehicle to justify the existence of the nudity and violence. Yeah, and I guess it puts this movie more in the kind of meta camp of like uh, Last House on Dead End Street or something, right? Like, yeah. like that's another movie that was made out of the rage of having to make an exploitation movie. You yeah. Know? So yeah, so we'll we'll disgust and shock the audience uh, more than they even planned on. Yeah. Let me just throw one thing out there real quick to Please. wrap it on. Uh, who do you cast in the remake? I mean, Dink, Dinklage is a Dinklage seems like a shoe in for Louis de Jesus, for Ralphus. Who's Sardu? I'll tell you, I'll tell you right away who I would not cast, and that okay, uh, Nicholas Cage. Yeah, I, I, you know, here's here's what I might do. Yeah. I might cast Will Ferrell, but I might go for Heavy Ferrell. He blows your mind. He's not joking yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah, no and, he, and he does around. it a little. Yeah, yeah like Sardou. What, what do you think, Joe? Oh, wow. That's interesting. Because I would totally go for. I think it would have to be more non comedic. Because I think oh, you have to get the actor that plays it straight. Giamatti? Could you do Paul Giamatti as Sardou? Too Giamatti, Giamatti could do it. But I'm really. I, I love. When I, re, if I think of recasting, I always want to try to hit the physical thing. I just love. Literally, I was joking before, but Seamus O'Brien is, like, rail thin. And okay. there's something about his fashion in it that I love, that he's tall and thin and he's wearing robes. Um, fuck, I'm trying to think of who that would be. Yeah, you know. All right, I got a curveball. I got a curveball for you here. I would go with somebody like, um, speaking of Law & Order, uh, the lawyer guy, um, Sam... Sam Watterson. Wow. <laughs> wow. Welcome We're not going to top that. Yeah. No. I would, I would go with an unknown for, 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 Louis, for Ralphus. I would not go with an unknown. I love that. Let, yeah, yeah, let walk yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. You, we don't want to overpower the, uh, the formula here. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Did you, notice, did you guys notice how many times Ralphus changes in the film? No. 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 No, no, I just remember him in his little overalls. His little overalls, yeah. Right. 
I always remembered the yellow turtle, turtleneck with the jean overalls. Yeah. Yeah, yes, he has. By the way, and 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 you know, I know you guys are going to watch the film again after this very soon. Um, <laughs> I oh, no, never. Uh, please, please look out for the floral print overalls that are like his uh, nice overalls where he greets <laughs> when he greets guests at the theater. Uh, when the football player, I forgot the character's name, but also quick shout out to Tucci the cop. Who I would put right up there with Pacino, Casal, uh, of that of that era. I thought Tucci the cop. I had forgotten about that guy completely. I think he's fucking incredible. I think he knocks it out of the park. I I agree with you. And that was like another. Even when I first watched it, I was like, "Damn, the police corruption." I was like, "This really is like a perfect construction of hopelessness." The whole situation. It's it's such a ble- it is. I mean. It's a topical film. Some yeah, petrol yeah. dollars. Sardu said some petrol dollars flowing back the other way. What? Oh you think you're going to get any kind of acknowledgement of the Mideast oil, Mideast oil crisis? Well, well, if you recall, that's Mr. Alphonse from Alice Sweet Alice, the huge oh, fat yeah. guy, is the broker, and the client is Henry, clearly implying that it's Henry Kissinger. That's right. <laughs> Who also gets the same sock in it to him in Ilsa Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheets. That's right. That guy's playing him in there. That's right. Oh, God. That's yeah. so funny. Oh, I just want to say real quick, too. Uh, this film has one of the most, I think, again, in terms of horror cult film, one of the most iconic freeze-frame final images. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's and, for sure. And, and, and I just wanted to tell you guys that it's actually an image that I have Google imaged uh, many times over the years, and I'll send to friends every now and then when they make <laughs> any kind of uh, g- genital eating joke. <laughs> yes, so uh, it's the nude woman eating a severed penis in a hot dog bun is our final parting shot. And I'll say, uh, when I first saw the movie, it was my friend Tom's house after my aborted attempt. When they got to that point, uh, we talk about this often. The legend has it when Steve Martin was in a hotel room watching the very first episode of Saturday Night Live, by 1 o'clock as they signed off, he said, fuck, they did it. And I had a true, upon seeing the penis hot dog, I truly had the fuck, they did it moment. <laughs> they really did, man. I, I, I pour one out for... for- Joel M. Reed, who... Yeah, he was a real as we, one. As we said, it never... I mean, it's almost like you catch that kind of magic once in your life. You know, he he made other yeah. films and he continued working and and I guess, you know, he seemed like this... I, it was weird because, you know, you hear this stuff about like, oh, these old guys, they're real nice guys. And I heard some interviews with him and he's like, oh, he's still a little sleazy, but he, he seems like a nice old man. Um, but, you know, this... He, he passed 86 Mike, I think, I think 83. I think it was 83. Might have been 86. We'll check again. 83 and um, taken taken out most likely it seems right from the from the pandemic we're currently yeah. in. But to to remember him, I mean, I just to watch this movie again and to think about what it takes to actually make a movie. You know, I what I what I got what I got uh, Mike from some of these interviews was that actually. Even if the film didn't find its audience, um, Joel and Reed 
became very well known in New York for actually having pulled off making a movie at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, remained uh, a legend uh, living on the uh, Hell's Kitchen area where Kenneth Anger, still alive, still lives. Yeah, he outlived Joel M. Reed and Seamus O'Brien by a lot. Wow. By the way, some of the great... Uh, Joel M. Reed, obviously, again, the corny sense of humor. The night when the football, uh, the football guy, the quarterback, calls the police, he calls 911, and it says that this is a recording. Remember that, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Which apparently did happen in New York in the seventies. Oh, really? <laughs> the, the, the numbers would get jammed, and there'd be some kind of message telling you to call back. Joel was the first guy to make that joke. <laughs> all right, so uh, let's all stick our dicks and hot dog buns and, and salute <laughs> to the great Joel Emmerich and the great Joe Wagner. Oh, yeah, God. what a treat. What a treat, Joe. It's uh, It's been a real pleasure. I wish I had two symbols to start marching around, crashing oh. together. <laughs> the um, uh, parade leading, yes. To forget that this ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> so Ben Reiser was our uh, audio guy. Aaron, please send him a basket of cookies immediately. Cause this is a, <laughs> Absolutely. This is like Absolutely. a late-term board. He's going to have to reassemble. <laughs> Make sure he got all the pieces out. Oh, that was a very blood-sucking freaks type of joke. So on that note, I believe, Aaron, you have our uh, our send-off this week. You get to say it. Yeah. yeah, we'll be back next week. Until then, crack or get off the pot. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, hey, Joe. It's my pleasure, guys. Thanks, Take care. Bye. Thanks, soon. Mike. Bye.